0: have Dan Barrett with us here today with adwordnerds.com. So head over there because I have a feeling once you hear this podcast, you're going to want to book a call with him and his team. So there's a, (laughs) there's a form for a free strategy session right there on their front page. And I, I I think uh, you might want to take advantage of this, but really appreciate your time, Dan.
1: Hey, well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. We were saying off mic, with just where we were getting started, you were like, I like to get nerdy with it. Obviously, that's what I like. That's why I put it in the name of my business. So I'm ready, man. Let's let's do this thing.
0: So well, I, I I've been looking forward to this conversation because I've I've had some experience with uh, some other companies that tried to provide me this exact service. Okay. Unfortunately, that company had absolutely you see you're laughing already. You know <laughs> exactly where well? this is going. Did it go? Well? They had yeah. absolutely no experience with real estate investors. It was gotcha, and so I got dumped into the same pool as realtors, and it was just a lot of money just thrown to the wayside, and it was a terrible experience. So, it's it's really a pleasure to find somebody who actually focuses on this niche.
1: Yeah, well, thank you, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's not a super uncommon thing. And you know, honestly, so I started I started working specifically with real estate investors doing online marketing about a decade ago now. So it's been about 10, 10 straight years of only doing investors. And when I started, you know, when I got my first investor client, uh, I had no idea what real estate investing was either. Right. I think as a culture, we're much more aware of it today than we were back then, but still, you know, I always say like the vast majority of agencies, it's hard to parse exactly what the difference is between a seller and a motivated seller or a buyer and a seller or retail market versus wholesale market or that kind of thing. So it's um, it certainly isn't that you have to specialize in it to do it, but I think that the fact that all we do as investors all day, every day, you know, we manage over $5 million of spend a year. Uh, we've been in every market in the United States, big, small and in between. It just helps to build that sense of pattern matching, right? When you get into a market, and you're like, "Oh, this is this kind of market or this kind of problem." So, I like to think it gives us a competitive advantage, and uh, I like it, man. Investors are interesting people, right? They're very driven. They're very numbers based. They're analytical. They understand risk. They understand volatility. Those are people I can usually jam with, right? So they're we're a good match. Yeah. So you know,
0: one of the things that I was we were chatting about before we hit record as well is that. Frankly, I think real estate investors and realtors, for that matter, were a bit behind when it comes to any kind of technology or incorporating this type of type of thing. Yeah. So um, before we get too deep into it, I think we better take a a minute and kind of set a baseline as to what we're talking about when we say AdWords.
1: Yeah. All right. Great. Oh, yes. So AdWords of the titular AdWords nerds is now called just Google Ads. And Google ads really encompasses a variety of different things like these sort of, you know, I would say the platonic ideal of a Google ad is you go on Google and you type in sell my house fast and you get a whole bunch of search results and the top four are going to be ads and the bottom four are going to be ads. And that's what Google ads is, right? So that's primarily what investors are doing when they say I'm doing Google ads. That is mostly what they're focused on because That channel, which is technically called Google search ads, is you're searching on Google, right? You're seeing text ads and so on. Those ads still to this day tend to have the highest buy for an investor. They tend to have the best cost per deal acquisition. They tend to produce the most motivated leads because there's intent built into the relationship, right? Like if I went on Google and I typed in sell my house fast, the only thing you know about me in that moment is that that's what I want to do, right? Or at least that I'm interested in it, right? You don't know mm-hmm. how much equity I have. You don't know if there's you know zoning violations or if I need repairs or what. You don't need you don't know any of the things that you you might know. For example, if you're like building a bunch of different mailing lists or your list stacking, right? There's all these different ways that investors have traditionally done their marketing, and the downside to all of that typical kind of traditional marketing, which still works and is awesome for most investors, is that you just don't know if they want to sell, right? You, They could be in a perfect house for you, but you don't know if they want to sell. Whereas with Google search, it's sort of the opposite, where you got no idea what kind of house they're in, but you know that they're interested enough in selling to go search for it, right? So that's Google search ads is what most people think of but of course, Google ads also encompasses like YouTube ads. The ads you see on YouTube are run through Google. The ads you see on websites like CNN.com. You see like an image ad or something like that. A lot of times those are run through Google. So there's a whole variety of things under this umbrella. But for most investors, what we're talking about is go to Google, type something in, and I want to get in front of that person in that moment. So that's mostly what we specialize in, although not all, of course, but um That's still the bread and butter for uh, most investors, I would say.
0: So, you you know, this is one of those things that you you just kind of touched on it. A lot of us still do the uh, mailing campaigns, you know, the the yellow letters they're sending out. What I think that where things kind of um, fall to the wayside is any kind of additional follow-up, you know, like, I, I right now send everybody to my website, for example. However, I don't take in advantage of any of the like the Google Pixel, the Facebook pixel, none of that as any kind of follow- up impressions. Yeah, what can you do? how does how does Google come into that type of
1: thing? Yeah, so generally, what you're what you're talking about is called remarketing or retargeting, right? And the idea is if someone lands on a website, I can put a little piece of code on that website that connects that person's visit to the ad network of my choice. So it could be Facebook, could be Google, whatever it is, right? And essentially that little piece of code puts a little cookie in that person's browser, right? It's a little flag that says, I visited this site, right? I visited adwordsnerds.com or whatever. And I can then follow that person around with ads. So if that person logs into Facebook, Facebook's like, oh, they've got Dan's AdWords Nerds cookie. I'm gonna show this person an AdWords Nerds ad. Right. And so the way that it kind of works, you're sort of referencing this. Right. We call this the force multiplier effect. Let's say you're doing a mailing, you're doing a 20,000 piece mailing, you're hitting your market, you know, you're you're sending them out. Well, we know from like basic human psychology, uh, marketing research and so on, that any advertising message is going to take a certain number of exposures to kind of sink in right? Like you might see an ad six or seven times before you even consciously register what it's about, you know, which is like why ads do so much work to try to be weird or funny. Like they're trying to grab your attention because mostly we just screen ads out, right? And then if you broaden that to take in, for example, every sign you see, every logo you pass when you walk down the street, right? You're, you're being exposed to so many different messages all the time. So we know to break through that noise, you need to get in front of someone, you know, not once or twice, but like four, five, six, seven times, right? So I think a lot of investors, if they want to double down or sort of magnify the value of a mailing that they're doing, what they can do is send out the mail, just like you said, send people to the website, but then use a retargeting pixel to follow people around. So then it's like, well, hey, Three days later, you know, they got your postcard, they went to the website, they're like, eh, it's not for me. Three days later, they're on Facebook, and they see a video that you put out there, or they see a testimonial that you put out there, or they see an offer that you put out there, and they're like, you know, I don't even consciously remember what that's all about, but it feels familiar to me, and I'm now more likely to click on it, right? So Facebook's probably the most common retargeting platform that investors will use. Google also can do retargeting. Um, so you can target people in Google search, depending on whether they've been on your site or not. You can follow them around on third party websites like, you know, CNN or there's thousands and thousands of them. You can follow them along on Facebook or uh, on YouTube, I should say, right? So YouTube is the world's second largest search engine, because if you need to know something, most people either go to Google or they go to YouTube and they're like, how to do that thing, right? So you can, you know, have someone where they're, uh, I'll give you an example. I was just auditing a client's uh, Google accounts the other day, and they have a Google retargeting campaign set up. So anytime someone goes on their website, they plant this cookie on this, this person's browser so they can follow them around, and they have a YouTube campaign where they're showing a TV ad that they run in their market on YouTube, right? So the idea is you went to the website, then three days later, you're on YouTube. And if you look at the number one channel on YouTube that sends them their highest number of leads, it's a kid's video channel. It's like Cocoa Melon or whatever, one of the like sing-songy things for like three-year-olds is. Well, why right. is that the case? Well, it's the parents are setting the kids up in front of the YouTube to like basically – you know, bug them up for a little while and get them to be quiet or whatever you got to You know, whatever you got to do. Look, no judgment from my part. I've got a six and an eight-year-old. I get how it is, but right? They're putting them in front of YouTube and the ad is showing before the video. And then the parent's like, huh, that's kind of interesting. And they're clicking, right? So that's that kind of force multiplier idea where being in a single channel can be extremely valuable. And obviously we all have to start somewhere and being in a channel and doing it well, that's that's hugely valuable, right? But if you can also be in multiple places at the same time with a consistent message, it makes all of those channels more effective. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it sure does. And and I just want to make sure we clarify regarding your business then. You know, you you're called AdWord Nerds. Do you provide that full service and 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 provide that level to Google ads, Facebook, you know, across different platforms?
1: Yeah. So we do, we're multi-channel, right? So we, when we started, we were only Google ads, which is why I called the company AdWords nerds because I didn't, I wasn't very ambitious at the time. And it was just like, this is what we do. Um, but since then, you know, we've expanded to have top ads or Bing ads, as most people call them, Facebook ads, YouTube, Google Display Network, uh, search engine optimization, so organic marketing. We're moving into social media management, so we've added a social media kind of division of the company where we're managing social media accounts for investors. And my next thing, it's next on the list, although we don't have it quite yet, is TikTok. Because I personally, I, I tell this story that's like TikTok was the first thing where I was officially like, I'm just too old. I just can't. I just can't do it anymore, right? Like just, yeah. I, you know, whatever. And recently I was like, look, TikTok, just based on growth patterns and based on usage patterns and based on the audience that's on TikTok now, which is young, TikTok is going to be the most important social media network in the next three to five years. It just is. If it's not already, it is. And TikTok ads are pretty quickly overtaking, at least in certain demographics, Facebook ads. So you can look at TikTok and say, which I think most investors say, which is there's not a lot of motivated sellers on there, right? It's too young an audience. And I would say that's true, right? Mm -hmm. but it's not going to be true five years from now. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, part of our business model is always just that, like, we're always trying to find whatever the next thing is, whatever the next thing is, because it's always changing. So it's growing and evolving. And so- When investors come and they work with us, we just do all of that stuff for the same fee. We don't add on per channel. We don't add on per market. It's a flat fee, right? I would say like, we're not the cheapest agency in the industry. We're just not. But the advantage is you just come in and you've got a whole team that's like trying to proactively and grow and test new things for you. And you don't have to worry about the upselling and all that stuff. So that was a bit of a tangent. But if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't like what these kids are doing on the TikTok. I didn't like it either, but I still feel like we should all at least check it out with the deal
0: is. Well, I mean, I think we're putting our heads in the sand. Just like we I mentioned, a lot of real estate investors and realtors were were behind on a lot of this. Yeah. And and TikTok just announced, I don't know, this week or last week, they're they're raising the number of minutes you can upload. So those vi- videos can now go up to 10 minutes. Yeah. At this point, I mean, we're inching towards YouTube. You know, content. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll tell you the
1: the the most interesting thing about TikTok that I've heard. And so it's interesting because like in my other life, right, before I really got into business and I really started doing what I'm doing today, I was playing in bands, I was a musician, that was my thing, right? And so I still have a lot of those friends. And through music and stuff, I'm I'm in touch with a lot of younger people than I am. Right. Like I'm 42, right? But you know, these are like people in their twenties, right. And they're, they're just into music and that's how I know them. Right. So I'm like, when I was started researching TikTok, cause I was like, I just don't really get it. And I personally couldn't stand it. Right. I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. Young people enjoying their lives. It's just anathema to me. I hated it. I was like, I'm too, whatever, I'm too grumpy. I can't do it. So, but I was, I was sort of, you know, asking younger people, I was like, well, what do you think of TikTok? What's the deal? And the thing that I heard from nearly every person was it's the only social media network where the algorithm makes me feel good. Every other social media network makes me feel bad. And I was like, Oh, there you go. Right. So in any case, the the reason I kind of belabor the point is not so much that TikTok is going to be huge for investors. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Right. But it's more about being open to change and being open to this kind of ever evolving landscape. You know, you mentioned that investors, Tend to be behind. And in my experience, that's been the case. But it doesn't have to be the case. And I also think that our industry is changing so quickly. When you look at the entry of not just iBuyers like Open Door and OfferPad and Knock and you know Trulia and you know Zillow, when they were still doing instant offers and stuff like that. It's not just those companies that are disrupting us right now, it's also hedge funds it's BlackRock, it's these companies with millions and millions of dollars to spend, right? And ultimately, when you have little company versus big company, in every single instance where that's gone well for the little company, the advantage that they lean on is flexibility and the ability to change, right? And see things coming around the bend that the big companies don't. So even if you're you you know, if you're listening to this, you're an investor and you're like, I'm not super technical, I'm not really into this stuff, like that's okay, but just Try to keep your finger on the pulse of it at least a little bit, right? Even just ask younger people around you and be like, hey, what's up with this? That's all you got to do because at least that will give you a little bit of foresight into what's coming down the road. And you don't have to be that fast to be faster than the giant corporation down the block. Does that make sense?
0: Yep. Well, I first of all have to say congratulations on the nerd milestone (laughs) of hitting 42
1: thank you very much yeah, yeah exactly right that's the uh the answer uh so i appreciate that very much it's been uh i keep expecting i told my wife like you know she was like does it feel weird?" are the same my wife and i are the same age and she was like does it feel weird to be in your 40s and i was like i'm gonna be honest i felt like i was in my 40s when i was 18 i feel like i'm just grown into my final form you know and i'm like this is all how always how old i was so thank you very much i appreciate it.
0: Yeah. So." We were going to talk, we're going to have to talk a little bit about the numbers here regarding this, you know, because you said you're not going to be the cheapest place to get this done, but you you know, you get what you pay for as far as I'm concerned, especially when it comes to this,
1: Mm -hmm. what
0: is, what it's all about return on investment for investors and we're all about the numbers. Like, can you give us an example of what they should expect and, and maybe even break down like on the low end. What what it would entail to get in this game?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I can definitely give you, I will definitely give you a number. So before I give you numbers, I'm gonna give you my speech about numbers, which is that the numbers I'm gonna give you are national average benchmarks that we use every day. So you want to think about like just in my day to day when I'm logging into an account, like let's say I log into your Google Ads account. Like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of try to diagnose an issue here. What I have to have is some sort of sense of what is normal and what is abnormal, right? Just like if you go to a doctor and you're like, doctor, I feel sick, and they take your temperature, your temperature is like 130 or something, <laughs> you'd be like, that's not good because the average is down here, right? But within any average, like even human body temperature, right, there's ups and downs of fluctuations, right? Like we might be 98.6 on an average, but at any given time, I might be 99 or 98.1 or whatever, right? There's a lot of them down. Similarly, in Google Ads, you want to think about Google Ads as a market on top of a market. So Google Ads itself is a market. It is an auction, a bid, sort of a bidding war between all the different advertisers using all the different accounts with all the different strategies and every single individual change. They are going after each other in a competitive landscape. That's a market just like the stock market or Your local farmer's market, if you're negotiating against people, or haggling, right? That's a market. But that market, it's on top of the housing market, right? So you have one market on the bottom, which already has a a certain amount of volatility, right? Any investor listening to this, it literally doesn't matter when you're listening to this. You could listen to this tomorrow or next year if I say like, Hey, that market, huh? Being weird. You're going to be like, yeah, it is. Because it's always weird. It's always doing something that nobody expects, right? So there's volatility in that base layer. And then there's also volatility in Google Ads. Because the number of competitors in your local market is going to go up or down. They're going to change their strategies based on what they think other people are doing or the results that they're seeing. The amount of searches that are available to you for certain keywords is going to vary depending on what the you know local market's doing. Like there's just a lot of things going on. So the whole reason I preface all this with that information is to say all averages lie. They all lie, right? Just like if I say the average American family has two and a half kids, you're not seeing a half a kid anywhere. That half a kid is a mathematical fiction, right? Mm-hmm. So similarly, if I say, hey, national cost per lead in Google right now is between 175 and 250, which is true right as i'm saying this that doesn't mean if your cost per lead is let's say $300 that's an emergency and you have to deal with it right and i'll just give you one example of this and then we'll get into some specific numbers that number 175 to 250 that is the national average cost per lead in google right so a phone call or an email or whatever on that run that number now just before this call i was working with a client looking at his at his leads he's $430 a lead so that's double what the national average, and that could be a disaster for that person. But instead he was like, I want as much of this as you could possibly give me just more, 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 Mm -hmm. because he was closing one out of 10 and making 30 K on average per deal. So that's $4,000 cost per deal acquisition on average, 30 K in, you know, in revenue produced, he's more than happy, right? So ultimately the averages don't matter. What matters is your own your own individual baseline and in numbers and the revenue in your business. Does that make sense?
0: Yep, it sure does. All right. All
1: right. But in any case, let's kind of give some some basic uh, stats. And I, I will also say that, you know, not to give 5 million caveats before I give any actual information, but the other caveat is that our numbers are based on our performance. So other agencies will differ, strategies differ, that changes the numbers, yada, yada, yada. Right. But in any case, what I'm generally looking for in an average Google ads account, if you are targeting, let's just say whatever you want to call a midsize market. So anything from a big city to a county, but not the entire state, not the entire Southwest U- United States. Right. Like what midsize market Define that in your head. Generally, what I'm looking for is with a relatively targeted campaign build. around 2,000 to 5,000 people a month to see my ads. I want around 2,000 to 5,000 people to see my ads. From those 2,000 to 5,000 people, I'm looking to get at least 100 clicks, right? So just 100 clicks a month. From that 100 clicks, I'm looking to get anywhere between seven to 20 leads. Now that's a pretty big spread. And generally what I'm looking for is like 10 to 15, that's kind of like the median there right? 20 being high, seven being low. All right. But I'm looking for that sort of magic 10 to 15 lead range. The -hmm. reason that that's the magic range for us early on is because on average, our clients close one for every 12. So for every 12 leads generated, regardless of quality, right? So it's like, I don't mean like 12 conversations or 12 good leads. I just mean 12 leads. Generally, we're looking for one deal put under contract. That should on average put our cost per deal acquisition between 3000 to $6,000 per deal depending on the market because the number one driver of cost per deal acquisition is the market you're in because the number one driver of cost is competition. So if you're in a market with a lot of competition, costs go up. But generally the markets that are most competitive are the markets where the ve- the deal value, the amount of revenue produced by a single deal is highest. Right. So people are willing to pay more if they're going to make 100K per deal. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you're in a market where you're like, eh, I can only make 10K, that's my spread on every deal. You're not going to have to pay 10K to get that deal because your competition will bow out, at least in a rational market. If you believe the kind of rational market hypothesis, which generally seems to bear true uh, most of the time in ads. So that's kind of those stats that I'm looking for on average. But of course, nobody's average right? There's never been an account where I've logged in and i will be like, every number is exactly what I expected. And the other thing is that every number changes every day, right? <laughs> every market changes every day. I always say like, you know, people would be like, well, you know, um, you know, when was the last time you advertised in Phoenix? And I'll be like, Oh, you know, it was like six months ago. And they'll be like, oh, okay, cool. Like, what do you think that, you know, what do you think I can expect today? And my answer is like, I have no idea. Right. It's like stepping in, you can't step in the same stream twice, is the same thing. Every market's different. So six months ago in Phoenix, you could be in a completely different market than today, right? Or it could be the same or it could be more aggressive or less competitive. It's hard to say. That was a lot of talking and a lot of numbers, but those are kind of the baseline that I look for. And then from there, we sort of uh, tweak or evolve depending on uh, client feedback and what their revenue generated is and so on and so forth. But generally, we're looking for people to recoup their investment fairly quickly typically within the first couple months if not sooner that's really our goal
0: mm-hmm. so this is going to be kind of a sidestep here for a second but when you set up an ad campaign for somebody then like say for google ads yeah is it in their google ads tenant do you do it and manage it in your own like how does that how does that
1: relationship look yeah that's a great question See, this, these are these nerd questions that I appreciate from you. So that's good. Yeah. So we actually, this is actually a very strong belief in our company. We only, so a little backstep, but I'm, I'll answer your question in a second, right? So a couple months ago, we sat down as a team. We're a team of seven and we, re, we spent, I think it was a total of 16 hours. So 16 hours of four, four hour sessions. just diving deep on what drives us as a team. Why do we come to work? Why do we care, right? Because our team, even though we know so much about real estate investing, uh, only one of us is actually an investor, you know, Lou, who's our, our salesperson, right? The rest of us are ads people. We're marketing people. We are attracted to challenge and problems and, and sort of doing stuff and helping people. But like, I personally am not like investing in my spare time. It's not what I'm into. So it's not because we just love real estate investing so much, right? And so we were like, okay, why do we do this? Why do we come? Why do we care about being the best? Like we always say, we want to be the best in the world at what we do. But why do we care? And we went on and on and on, back and forth, and we built this sort of list of values. There's only like five, but one of the values, like the top one, essentially, that's the most important to us as a business, as a, as a, as just why do we show up to work? It's we are holders of a fiduciary standard. Like the fiduciary standard in financial management is. I am legally bound to do what's in my client's best interest, not what's in my interest. So like if I get a commission for selling you a certain stock, but it's bad for you, I'm legally not allowed to do that, right? Well, we want to bring that into how we do business. And we we filter everything through this value. Like every decision that we make as a company, we say, does this align with holding a fiduciary standard for our clients? And it goes all the way down to, for example, do we manage in the client's account or bring their campaigns into our agency account, which we could certainly do. And in many ways, managing from within the agency's account would be easier. It would be easier because no one can make any changes without asking us, which happens, right? No one could turn anything off. We would never have a client, which has happened to where they don't want to pay the bill. So they take everything that we built and they just bail, right? All these things could be avoided by us locking down those accounts, but we don't do it. We always, always, always manage in the client's name in an account that the client has ultimate control over, not us. And that's because I think it is ethically wrong to spend a client's money and build something that's going to represent their business that they don't ultimately have control over. I would never let someone do that for my business so we won't do it for our clients. So ultimately, to kind of just directly answer the question, right? We always manage the client's account. We set one up in their name. They put their card in it, but we don't have their credit card information, for example. And then they add us sort of managers and we manage there. Then we can pull in their information and everything we need to do. But ultimately, it's their account. And if they ever want to disconnect from us or take the stuff that we built, we say, that is your right. It was your money, You know, we don't own you. We don't own your business. Ultimately, the marketing that represents your business is a critical part of how you pay your bills, how you feed your family, how you save for retirement. So now I'm getting all fired up. But like it's it's sort of a weird technical issue, but it became a big ethical issue for us. And I think it's a differentiator in in how we work. Not that we're the only agency that feels that way, but um, we feel fairly strongly about it, I guess you could say.
0: Well, I, I, you could probably tell I've had some experience with this, so that's why I asked the question.
1: <laughs> I didn't think. Of I that. mean, yeah. Oh, sorry. Was that like the the agency that you worked with before? Was that how it worked?
0: Right. You know, that's how it worked. Where they and and I and I can kind of understand it to to a certain extent because um, when they have. In fact, frankly, they have a lot more, if they have all of the real estate investors, for example, in a, in a big pot, I'm sure there's a lot more data points they can pull and cross pollinate, but it's much um, easier,
1: right? It's much easier. Right.
0: So, you know, one of the things I I just really appreciate the transparency here regarding what the reason behind this, and it, and it kind of speaks volumes because when you go to your website and I'm going to point this out because I was just tickled by what I saw there, because if you go there, yeah, frankly, you have an ultimate guide to PPC mm-hmm. and it is pages and pages of content yeah. starting how they, how you can do this. I mean, the level of transparency just on your website is frankly refreshing. What caused you to go to that level?
1: Yeah. Well, that's a fun, thank you for saying that. Cause I, I wrote that guide. It's 40,000 words, I think. As I counted, you can bet after that much time, I was like, I got to know what the word count is. A couple different things, right? Partially it was search engine optimization driven. There was somebody who beat me out for like PPC management for real estate investors. And I was like, I don't think so. You're not allowed, this is my spot. I own this spot. So I was like, I'm going to write this thing that's like so in depth that you just give up and you never try to do this again and you feel bad. So that was like part of it. The other part of it is like, we made a decision very early that Asian of the marketplace was going to be a key core element of the way that we market the agency itself, right? Like most of my marketing at this point is writing YouTube videos, doing podcasts, and you will usually have to prompt me in order to promote my own stuff, right? My ultimate, and I'm very transparent about this, my long-term like evil marketing strategy is just to become the authority in the space on this particular topic. And the way that I have done that for the last decade, and I think we've we've grown to where we are mostly because of this, is just by being very honest about what we do, being very open about it, by giving away our secrets. Like if you go to, um, you know, and this isn't always true. So I'm not, I'm not trying to like cast dispersions, but like for a long time, if you went to a competitor of ours, what they were using was a variant of a campaign that we built because we would put our campaign builds out publicly and be like, here you go, right? Similarly, like I run a coaching program for people who don't really have the budget to justify a manager, right? Like if you don't have a large ad, ad budget to run every month, it doesn't make sense to hire us to manage it right? Like I I won't let you do that because at some point, the marginal utility of those dollars makes more sense going into ads than it does going to me. And I'll tell people that, right? So we built a coaching program where it's like, Hey, you know, it's a lot cheaper than getting managed and we'll sort of teach you how to do it. And I update that program probably once a quarter with the most up-to-date thing that we run in the agency. So like I teach literally exactly how I, what I do down to how I think about it how I diagnose issues, what I think is changing. You know, I'm very open about that stuff because ultimately I'm not worried about people catching up with us because I'm just doing me, right? I'm playing my own game. And, uh, you know, if they're trying to catch up with me, they're never going to make it anyway. That's fine. I also think there's more than enough room in the world for multiple companies. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be Elon Musk, right? I just like I just like what I do. But the, the long term of it is, and in this to bring this back to investors, right, and think about how you can apply this to your own investing business, it's like people remember the people that teach them and provide value. You remember that, right? And so when people now say, you know, you say Google Ads for real estate investors, our name comes up more often than not. And it's mostly just because of that free stuff that we put out there, right? So we try to do as good a job of that as possible. And it's something that I'm really trying to get back into and, and lean into more and more as I, you know, my team has grown and I've, I've sort of grown more into the, the CEO role over time. And uh, that's kind of what I view as my core kind of value add to the industry. Right. So does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. You
0: know, I, I was just, like I said, I, I was a bit surprised because frankly I've, I've talked to and I had that, I, I would classify it as a poor experience with an AdWords team. Yeah. To, um, and I've talked to a couple others trying to think, OK, is it is it just was not a good fit with that company or what type of experience would I have if I went to another company More times than not? I, I find that, um, unfortunately, a lot of the when I was asking questions about how this has worked or how they chose those AdWords or what type of research it was really like really quiet. Like they hold it close to their, their vest and they just don't want to share. They don't right. want yeah. You know, it's so it was just refreshing to see the level of detail just freely available on your site. Well, cool. yeah. So thanks.
1: Thanks. I, I appreciate it. And you know, it's um, something we spend a lot of time on. And I always say too, people hit me up and you got questions, like I'll answer questions. I like, look, distract me from my work folks. If you hit me up on social media. I'm looking to, procrastinate. So do it by all means. That'd
0: be <laughs> so let's say uh, somebody does have a very small budget and they want to do this foray into some sort of PPC, Facebook mm-hmm. ads. What do you would you suggest they, they consider starting with?
1: Yeah. So I think a uh, so small budget, let's say, first of all, let's let's define our terms, right? So I would classify a small budget as anything below $1,000 a month. And you can start with any amount that you want, but generally I would say that's what small is. And I would say you know, just to put this in context, for people that want to be managed by us, our minimum starting budget's 2 k That's probably going to go up over the next year or so, so I'm going to go 3 k right? So let's say you're below, you're at $1,000 a month or so. In a lot of ways, it depends on two things, which is what your market is and what your expectations are, right? If you are like, hey, I have $1,000 and I want to dominate Los Angeles, it's just not going to happen, Right? Just like if I said, hey, I have $1,000 and I want to buy all of the Apple stock on the market. Well, I can't do that, right? It's just I'm being priced out of that universe. But it doesn't mean I can't buy anything at all. So generally, you think of it, there's kind of a spectrum, right? There's a spectrum all the way on the left. You have really unfocused keywords that are lower cost. You know, all the way over on the right of the spectrum, you have really, really highly focused, highly targeted keywords that are higher cost, okay? And all Google Ads strategy more or less boils down to where on this spectrum am I going to land? Am I trying to go higher volume, lower targeted, like less targeted? Am I going really, really narrow, but higher cost? How do I wanna split the difference? And generally, the lower that your budget goes, you're gonna find two different strategies work fairly, for fairly well, right? One is that, I'm just going to cherry pick the most specific keyword in my market. So I might pick, for example, I'm, I'll just use sell my house fast as an example, because it's the one that, that people always know. I'm like, all right, I'm only going to get in front of people that type in sell my house fast. And that's doable with a small budget because guess what? There aren't that many of those people, right? Like most people don't type in sell my house fast. They type in sell my house. Most people don't think to add fast to it, right? So it's like, sell my house fast, it's a, it's a, It's a little percentage of a percentage. So I'm only going to go after those people. You you use what's called an exact match keyword, which basically limits who Google can show you. Google, I'm telling you, this is an exact match keyword. What that means is only show me when someone types in exactly sell my house fast. Not sell my house quick, sell my house fast, right? And Google's like, all right back off. You're a little intense. So like in any case, just that. So it's going to be a small audience, probably not going to spend a ton of money. Now the difference is, or the downside is when someone does click, you probably pay anywhere between $20 to $40 a click. Why is that? Well, every investor in your market also wants to sell my house fast. Every investor wants that. It's the first keyword everybody types in. And just like, you know, economics 101, when demand is high but supply is low because it's a low you know low volume audience but every investor wants it prices go up right so this is kind of the cherry picking strategy and that strategy might produce one or two leads a month that, that strategy might produce two or three deals a year right so if you're doing you're doing $1000 a month let's say you spend 12000 let's say you get three deals that might be a $4000 cost per deal acquisition if you're making 20, 30, or even 10, you're getting a 2, 3, 4x on your investment, right? Now, the other strategy you can use with a smaller budget is you do the exact opposite. And in most strategic considerations, this is kind of what ends up happening, right? You end up getting like one strategy over here, or it's total polar opposite. And they both kind of work. This one is, instead of being really, really specific, you say, you know what? I'm just going to throw my money at Google and let them handle it. Meaning I'm going to run... A broad match, a bunch of broad match keywords. Sell my house fast. We buy houses. We buy ugly houses. Whatever. I'm I'm using all the stuff. And I might have 10 broad match keywords in there. And what broad match keywords do is say, you know what, Google, this is what I want. This is the topic I'm going after. But you can decide when someone types something in whether that matches what I'm talking about. So sell my house fast as an exact match keyword, which is really focused only fires when someone types in sell my house fast and nothing else. Sell my house fast as a broad match keyword will fire when someone types in sell my house, sell my house quick, but also real estate agents near me, billow, like all sorts of stuff, right? It'll, it's all sorts of stuff. Now, the advantage of that is that that will put you in front of a much bigger group of people, thousands of people a month, right? The downside is not all of them are motivated sellers. And so you tend to, tend to see, a lower quality lead overall. But, and economics 101, these are not the keywords most investors want. Therefore, demand is lower and supply is higher because it's a bigger market. Therefore, prices go down. So instead of spending 20 to $40 a click, you might spend five to $20 a click. So all of a sudden the economics are very different, right? Now it's a higher volume campaign, higher lead volume, lower cost, lower quality, but the cost per deal acquisition still ends up being somewhere in that two to $4,000 cost per deal acquired range, right? So both of these strategies work with smaller budgets. They also work in smaller markets. They work in a variety of places. But ultimately, every strategy has to be kind of designed for your individual market, your close rate, your ability to follow up with leads, all that good stuff. Um, But as a general overview, that's kind of usually what I'll say. And the main takeaway from all that, if you didn't necessarily follow all of that, which you absolutely don't have to, is just you can make it work with a smaller budget. I think a lot of people don't get started with online marketing because they're like, well, why bother? Because Zillow is dropping $10 million a day in my market. And like, you know, I'm never going to be able to compete. And if Google Ads was a market where you could only compete by spending more, that would be true. Bigger companies would always win out. But Google knows that's not good for their consumers. That's not good for searchers, right? Every ad being Coca-Cola Corp or whatever is not going to be good for a search experience. So they make an effort to provide at least something approaching a level playing field. If you know what you're doing and you're smart and you you go in there with the right expectations, your right understanding of your own risk tolerance – the right understanding of saying, "Hey, this is a process that I've got to improve over time. It's not a thing I can set and forget." If you go in with that right set of mindsets, you can make it work. And we've seen it over and over and over again. We've had we've had especially coaching students have really good success with starting with smaller budgets, and it's just something that you got to be prepared
0: for. Well, after the a person goes to your website and sees this whole this ultimate guide and says. Mm. Okay, forget this. I, I got to call Dan and his team.
1: you <laughs> halfway through it, and you're like, "Look, I could have been read. I could have been reading, you know, the greats, the the classics of Western civilization. You know, War and Peace, Pride and Prejudice, and instead I read this forty thousand word blog post about PPC." Yeah, I get it. I see what you're saying.
0: So let let's say somebody decides I got to get some help on this. Hmm. What questions should a person ask to make sure it's
1: a right fit? Yeah, so that's a great question. And uh, I'll answer that question directly, but I actually think the, the best thing to look for, and I'll, I'll tell you, like, I recently hired an agency because I needed help for a client. They were asking for something we didn't do, right? So I was like, no problem. I'll just be the project manager. I'll farm this out to another agency. I'll go find people. And they're like, cool, right? So this is all established up front. And I'm going and I'm looking for people that work in this specific channel that we don't work in. And so I had a bunch of calls with agencies, and I haven't done this in a while. And the number one thing I looked for in those calls was how much are they asking me questions versus how much are they just selling me on stuff? Like, how much do they want to know about my individual business? And it was actually shocking to me, the percentage of agencies where we got on the phone and they knew nothing about the client we were working with. They knew nothing about how the business model worked or like what the economics were. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we got it. And I was like, how do you know you got it? You don't even know what it is, right? Much less whether you got it. So that to me is a huge thing. We're we're a huge believer in, it's a consultation. It's a strategy session, it's not a sales call, right? And that's personally what I am looking for. Like, do you really care, right? Or is this just a question that's there to make me feel bad so I buy stuff from you? On that, in terms of like what people should ask from their agencies, A big one is who controls the account? Do I have access to it? Can I see what you're doing? And it's not so much that you should micromanage your agency. I mean, I personally, I like don't like being micromanaged. And I, I, you know, I'm not saying that you should have to or, or, but ultimately it's about if we part ways, do I get to take my data with me? Because the next person that you work with is going to say, oh, great. You ran ads for a year. Can I see your data? And if you don't have that, it's like it never happened. You've got to go all the way back to the beginning and start that learning process all over. And that's a huge loss. Like money spent in marketing is an an investment like any other. It has a return on investment. It provides you with a learning experience. And to just lose out on all of that because somebody is like, no, it's my precious and they just won't share it. I just I think that's wrong. Right. So that's a big one for me. The other thing is um, I will and this is personal to me. I actually listen for certainty. I, I listen for certainty. And if someone is too certain about the outcome, I view it as a red flag. Because, And this could just be, look, maybe I'm just getting old. But the longer I do this and the more I, I mean, literally hundreds of accounts a week that I look at. And the thing I have learned more than anything else is that if you think you can predict what's gonna happen, you are wrong. You're wrong. Warren Buffett is the world's greatest value stock investor. It's probably the greatest value stock investor in history. And he loses money in the stock market all the time because you can't predict what a complex system is going to do. And so when you are truly aware that you are dealing with a lot of complexity, the housing market, human psychology, Google Ads, technology, like, you know, Apple iOS 14s, breaking cookies, and all this stuff is happening at the same time, you have to be willing to accept that you don't know everything. And so you can't guarantee or predict the future. So when someone says to me, like, I 100% know what to expect. Here's exactly what's going to happen. I view that as, oh, you actually don't have that much experience yet. Because if you did, you'd know that you can't predict that, right? Right. So that's personally for me, like I sort of do the, the opposite, but it's like the more confident people seem, the more uneasy I get. It's kind of like if you go to the doctor and the doctor walks in and he's like, I know you have the measles. And he like, doesn't even look at you and he just walks out. And it's like, that's probably not great. You know, you should probably like do a differential diag. I mean, look, even House had to do a differential diagnosis, right? So uh, that's another one for me. It's just the kind of the uh, hubris of certainty, which runs rampant in my industry personally. But those are mine, you know, specific things like your market and what to expect from the market and what strategy is going to work. That should be something you should work out with anybody that you're talking to. Um, And it's going to take some work, right? There's no one size fits all for anybody, including investors. And uh, you should take the time to sit down with whoever you're thinking about working with and kind of hash that out. So like when we do strategy sessions, that's what we're doing. Like we sit down with someone and say, tell me all about your business we spent a long time learning about the economics of the flipping that they do, their close rate, whether they have a CRM, what their follow-up looks like, their history in the market. If they're doing direct mail, are you doing TV? Are you doing radio? Are you doing cold calling? you Are doing SMS? you Are doing ringless voicemail? Like blah, blah, blah. We go all the way into all that stuff so that we can start to answer the question, if I were you in your market, what would I do? And that's where that call ends. It's like, here's what we would do. And then if that sounds interesting to people – they work with us, and we do that thing, right? And then if it doesn't, we're like, "Cool, take that strategy and run with it," right? There's no, um, I don't, I don't own a patent on good strategy, so yeah, that's typically what I listen for.
0: Okay, so I'm going to change the topic slightly on you here. Yeah, and do I, it. We've
1: been way over. I told you before. <laughs> <when, laughs> we were like, we're going. It's going to be over. Is, is, uh, I, I
0: already know. warned the affiliates. They we they knew we were going to run over. Right. So so um, as an entrepreneur now. Regarding your business, mm-hmm. give me a, a time where you made a decision and it went south and what lesson you learned from
1: it. Oh man, there's so many, so many chances, so many things to talk about. Um, you know, I, I never really thought I would be in business. I did I did not start a business on my own because I was like, I always wanted to own my own business, right? I sort of fell into it. And there's been a lot of stuff I've had to unlearn as an entrepreneur specifically. One of the things that has been the hardest for me to learn, like like a lesson that I have had to relearn many times is that not everyone operates and thinks exactly the way that I do, right? Like if you're an entrepreneur, and one of the reasons I like working with real estate investors is that they're all entrepreneurs, right? By definition, everybody's an entrepreneur and they all have that mindset. And It's not better or worse or right or wrong, but it took me a long time to realize that entrepreneurs have a different way of thinking about the world. And I would delegate to people on my team or work with someone. And I would assume, I'd have an expectation that we work the same way, think the same way, have the same expectations of our relationship, that we're gonna produce the same amount of outcome. And I would be disappointed. And I would assume that the problem was with me, right? I would, it's like, ah, oh, I must have done something right. I didn't communicate it right or blah, 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 blah. And ultimately I just realized that like, not everybody thinks like an entrepreneur and that's totally okay. It's not a better way of thinking, but I have had to put more controls in place in my business and I would feel comfortable with if I was an employee here, right? And to realize that, not only is that okay that most people they respect that and they like it. People like to have a clear sense of mission, a clear sense of purpose, a clear sense of what their expectations are, a clear sense of what their goals are. Right? That needs to be explicit, needs to be spelled out and it needs to be checked on and they need to be checked up on and that's part of that running a business. If that were me, it would drive me up a wall. I'd be like, "Leave me alone, I'm doing my own stuff." And That quirk of my personality is why I run this business. It's because I literally am unemployable anywhere else, right? (laughs) Like why, why we all do this. No real estate investor I've ever met is going to be like a great team member on the line at Burger King, right? We're just, we can't do it. Like nobody's good at it. It's gotta, we do this stuff because there's a certain amount of independence that we need in order to thrive. And, you know, AdWords nerds, When we went through this values exercise, one of the things that we decided on is like, what's our mission? Our mission as a company, like, why do we show up every day? And the mission that we landed on, everybody on the team was we help people thrive. It means grow. It means become stronger, become better people. And everybody has a different set of circumstances that help them grow. Right. Like I need a lot of freedom. I need the ability to like go down a rabbit hole and learn like last week I literally took was like a 15 hour course on uh, factoring process improvement for like factories. And I don't work in a factory. I never have. But I was like, that sounds interesting. I'm going to waste an entire week learning this stuff. And it's like some of it I brought over in the agency. Like I need that. I'll die mentally, spiritually, without the freedom to do that. But for a lot of people, if you say, hey, just go learn whatever you want, they don't like that. It's too open, right? It's too much. They're like, well, what You know, what are you trying to get me to do? Like, what's the point of it? Like they struggle with that, right? So everybody needs something a little bit different. And um, man, that's been a lesson that's been hard for me to learn. It's been a real, real doozy for me personally. But the better I get at it, the better I get at working with a team, and uh, the team that we have right now at AdWords Nerds, it's, it's the best team we've ever had. They are incredibly aligned in terms of why they show up to work. They are dedicated. They're hardworking. They're smart. They're creative. It's like the people I've always wanted to work with, right? And so a big part of that has just been learning to manage not just what I need and like what I think is normal, but like what helps other people do what they do best, so yeah, that's my, that's my number one mistake. And it's on my mind because literally it's like, I just relearned that earlier this week. So it's, it's never ending. Well, and then
0: I would hope you could, in the time we have remaining, I hope you could share a story of a client that came to you, had a bad experience trying to do this on their own and how you might've turned it around for them. Like, and now they're, they're just rocking the, uh this is a strategy.
1: Yeah. So yeah, we have a client in Phoenix, which is a very competitive market. Phoenix is, I don't know if it's the most competitive market in the United States, but it certainly feels like it. And uh, has been for a long time. And we had a client come to us with an account that was kind of fair to middling, was kind of struggling. They were sort of breaking even on deals. So they were doing some deals from it, but the cost to acquire the deals was so high. That they weren't really making any money. And so the decision to jump to active management to hiring us was a big one for them because that meant they were paying our retainer on top of their ad spend, which means now they're negative, right? So you start in a hole. You don't even get to start at break-even. And uh, you know, we were talking to them when they were coming on and I I I have been called by other people, like the worst salesmen in the world. And it's because I'm constantly like, I don't like, I'll be on sales calls with people. and be like, I don't know, man, I don't think this is going to work out. I like just pushing people away because if I feel uncertain about something, I'll tell you, right? And so for this client, I was, you know, they weren't a client at the time, but I was very clear with them. I was like, Hey, you know, this is, it starts in a negative and it's a really competitive market. It's a really expensive market. And you just have to understand it's going to be slow. It's just going to be slow because the only way to beat a a really expensive market is to grind it out to make it more efficient over time. And it's not, you know, you can't flip a switch. You know, we always joke that there's a button that says it's the good ads button. It's like, oh, I forgot to turn the good ads on this month. Let me turn that on. Now you're going to make money. It's, It's hard. It's hard work. So he was like, I get it. Let's give it a shot. And that client has been with us for three years now. Uh, I just checked in with them earlier this week and they did a hundred leads in a month. They do multiple deals a month. They have significant margin on those deals now in one of the most competitive markets in the country. And he, he spends a lot of money. Like, I don't know if he's the client that's made the biggest profit or whatever. Uh, You know, I I remember I had a coaching student close like a a deal where he made $140,000 profit. And like, you know, we like took the picture and it was like, yeah. But honestly, it's that client in Phoenix that I'm most proud of because it's been a process, right? It's been up and down. He's had months where he's lost money. Like we've had months where everything broke and we've just had to grind it out. And we've ground it out to the point where, we're his number one marketing channel, and he's been with us for a super long time, and that's exactly who we're looking for, right? Like, we don't want to be the biggest company in the world. I don't want to run a team of 100 people. I have zero interest in that, right? I I like where I am. What I want are people that believe in the channel, that believe in us, that want to work that process, and that we're going to keep his clients forever. Like, our goal is once you come in, you never leave. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. And uh that's a kind of a good example of that. so it's it was a tough, tough road, but ultimately a really profitable one and one that i'm I'm proud of. I'm proud of my team for doing as well.
0: yeah, and I, it's a good reminder too that everybody regarding that persistent consistent behavior that uh, it you shouldn't expect to throw a few dollars at it one month and expect you know the the money to grow on the trees. I mean it's it's this is something that is like anything. We've been told and I've told people time and time again you, won't expect a windfall on your first mailing in fact a lot of people are going to see that for the very first time and they're not even going to pay attention to it there's Mm -hmm. going to be you got to do the second third fourth mailing for you to start to see the results
1: yeah I, i i always try to set the expectation right it's it's a competitive world it's a competitive industry there's a lot of people trying to flip houses and a lot of people trying to do it in google And so, um, you know, like a common question that we would get is, you know, we would say, like, we're, I think we're the best in the world at doing exactly what we do. I'm not the best in the world at much, but I'm the best in the world at this, this one narrow tiny thing, right? Sort of like being the, the world's best juggling trampolinist or whatever. And, uh, you know, investors will ask me, and I think it's a totally fair question. If you're the best in the world, how come I lost money this month? Or if you're in the best in the world, how come this is taking so long? And what I always tell people is, you know, I would usually throw out the Warren Buffett thing, right? Warren Buffett is the best investor in the world. He still loses money. But ultimately what being the best means to me is that we are flexible and we're able to adapt when the world doesn't do what we want it to do, which quite frankly is most times, right? Mm-hmm. If you're going into a highly competitive market, you're competing against very sophisticated people, it's going to be hard. And it's always going to be hard. Personally, when I do that kind of thing, if I'm I'm going into a space where I'm not familiar, I'm going to hire someone that's an expert in that space to give me as much of an advantage as I can. But ultimately, there's no way to skip that level of competition when it exists, right? There's no money that grows on trees. It just doesn't exist. So we try to set expectations accordingly. I'm like it's not, it's not easy money. It's money, certainly money to be made. And I think it's worthwhile. And I think it's important because honestly, I believe that if the internet isn't the single most important channel for the acquisition of houses right now, it's sure gonna be in the next couple of years, right? Like it's just where everything is right now. It's all online. But so I, you know, I I kind of have a passion for getting investors online, whether it's with me or not. Because I'm like, hey, for the long-term survival of your company, you need to invest in this channel. It doesn't have to be ads. It could be SEO. It could be your Facebook, your YouTube, your TikTok, right? Whatever it is. Invest some time. It doesn't even have to be money. But you should be in that space because it's important. But that doesn't mean it's going to be easy, right? And I think a lot of times it's the hard things that are the important things, which mm-hmm. is a little bit cliche, but there you go.
0: Well, I can't appreciate, I, I just, I really appreciate it, Dan. You, you, This has been, this has been a great conversation. I just, everybody head over to adwordnerds.com. Yeah. So adwords,
1: there's an S of the words. So Ad oh. words nerds. There you go. Ad yeah. words nerds.
0: I'll yeah. make sure to have that link in the show notes. If I misspoke earlier, I, I forgive me. I'll make sure you'll, to have that. You just
1: Google it. You'll find
0: it. You know what I mean? Just Google it. I would hope so. I would hope <laughs> so. Well, uh, before I let you go, we could have covered, we could have went twice as long because I still have a ton of questions. I could have just kept going. Yeah. But um, before I let you go, is there a question or concept you, you wish we would have covered here tonight?
1: A question or concept I wish we would have covered. Oh, man, we you did a great job. We covered a lot of stuff. I talked about all the stuff I'm most passionate about. You know, the thing I always try to press on people is just how important the channel is. Just again, I always say its it's got nothing to do with working with me. You never have to talk to me. If you didn't like this interview, you never have to see me again. But you should put some time into the online space and just think about it. Think about what your strategy is going to be. I really, really believe that. But we got to that at the end. So that was going to be my thing. And you nailed it. So, you know, you're too good of an interview, man. its its uh, It's too hard. I can't come up with anything.
0: Yeah, I'm this is, this is the best I'm at, just like you, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I really appreciate it, Dan. This this was a great conversation. You're welcome back anytime. I hope you'll take thank me you. up on that. Yeah. Um, But again, it's adwordsnerds.com. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes, but uh,
1: really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, man. This was a blast, and I'm, I look forward I will be back one day. So, uh, you know, everybody can figure out when that is and then tune out for that episode and then come back. But uh, I really enjoyed it. So thank you for having me. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing?
0: If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.